Chapter Eleven, Part One of Principles of Geology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Principles of Geology by Charles Lyell. Chapter Eleven, Part One, on the supposed former intensity of the igneous forces volcanic action at successive geological periods plutonic rocks of different ages gradual development of subterranean movements faults doctrine of the sudden upheaval of parallel mountain chains objections to the proof of the suddenness of the upheaval and the contemporaneousness of parallel chains trains of active volcanoes not parallel as large tracts of land are rising or sinking slowly so narrow zones of land may be pushed up gradually to great heights bending of strata by lateral pressure adequacy of the volcanic power to effect this without paroxysmal convulsions when reasoning on the intensity of volcanic action at former periods as well as on the power of moving water already treated of geologists have ever been prone to represent nature as having been prodigal of violence and parsimonious of time now although it is less easy to determine the relative ages of the volcanic than of the fossiliferous formations it is undeniable that igneous rocks have been produced at all geological periods or as often as we find distinct deposits marked by peculiar animal and vegetable remains it can be shown that rocks commonly called trappian have been injected into fissures and ejected at the surface both before and during the deposition of the carboniferous series and at the time when the magnesian limestone and when the upper new red sandstone were formed or when the leas oolite greensand chalk and the several tertiary groups newer than the chalk originated in succession nor is this all distinct volcanic products may be referred to the subordinate divisions of each period such as the carboniferous as in the county of fife in scotland where certain masses of contemporaneous trap are associated with the lower others with the upper coal measures and if one of these masses is more minutely examined we find it to consist of the products of a great many successive outbursts by which scoriae and lava were again and again emitted and afterwards consolidated then fissured and finally traversed by melted matter constituting what are called dikes as we enlarge therefore our knowledge of the ancient rocks formed by subterranean heat we find ourselves compelled to regard them as the aggregate effects of innumerable eruptions each of which may have been comparable in violence to those now experienced in volcanic regions it may indeed be said that we have as yet no data for estimating the relative volume of matter simultaneously 
in a state of fusion at two given periods as if we were to compare the columnar basalt of staffa and its environs with the lava poured out in iceland in seventeen eighty three but for this very reason it would be rash and unphilosophical to assume an excess of ancient as contrasted with modern outpourings of melted matter at particular periods of time it would be still more presumptuous to take for granted that the more deep-seated effects of subterranean heat surpassed at remote eras the corresponding effects of internal heat in our own times certain porphyries and granites and all the rocks commonly called plutonic are now generally supposed to have resulted from the slow cooling of materials fused and solidified under great pressure and we cannot doubt that beneath existing volcanoes there are large spaces filled with melted stone which must for centuries remain in an incandescent state and then cool and become hard and crystalline when the subterranean heat shall be exhausted that lakes of lava are continuous for hundreds of miles beneath the chilean andes seems established by observations made in the year eighteen thirty five now wherever the fluid contents of such reservoirs are poured out successively from craters in the open air or at the bottom of the sea the matter so ejected may afford evidence by its arrangement of having originated at different periods but if the subterranean residue after the withdrawal of the heat be converted into crystalline or plutonic rock the entire mass may seem to have been formed at once however countless the ages required for its fusion and subsequent refrigeration as the idea that all the granite in the earth's crust was produced simultaneously and in a primitive state of the planet has now been universally abandoned so the suggestion above adverted to may put us on our guard against too readily adopting another opinion namely that each large mass of granite was generated in a brief period of time modern writers indeed of authority seem more and more agreed that in the case of granitic rocks the passage from a liquid or pasty to a solid and crystalline state must have been an extremely gradual process the doctrine so much insisted upon formerly that crystalline rocks such as granite gneiss mica schist quartzite and others were produced in the greatest abundance in the earlier ages of the planet and that their formation has ceased altogether in our own times will be controverted in the next chapter gradual development of subterranean movements the extreme violence of the subterranean forces in remote ages has been often inferred from the facts that the older rocks are more fractured and dislocated than the newer but what other result could we have anticipated if the quantity of movement had been always equal in equal periods of time time must in that case multiply the derangement of strata in the ratio of their antiquity indeed the numerous exceptions to the above rule which we find in nature present at first sight the only objection to the hypothesis of uniformity for the more ancient formations remain in many places horizontal while in others much newer strata are curved and vertical 
this apparent anomaly however will be seen in the next chapter to depend on the irregular manner in which the volcanic and subterranean agency affect different parts of the earth in succession being often renewed again and again in certain areas while others remain during the whole time at rest that the more impressive effects of subterranean power such as the upheaval of mountain chains may have been due to multiplied convulsions of moderate intensity rather than to a few paroxysmal explosions will appear the less improbable when the gradual and intermittent development of volcanic eruptions in times past is once established it is now very generally conceded that these eruptions have their source in the same causes as those which give rise to the permanent elevation and sinking of land the admission therefore that one of the two volcanic or subterranean processes has gone on gradually draws with it the conclusion that the effects of the other have been elaborated by successive and gradual efforts faults the same reasoning is applicable to great faults or those striking instances of the upthrow or downthrow of large masses of rock which have been thought by some to imply tremendous catastrophes wholly foreign to the ordinary course of nature thus we have in england faults in which the vertical displacement is between six hundred and three thousand feet and the horizontal extent thirty miles or more the width of the fissures since filled up with rubbish varying from ten to fifty feet but when we inquire into the proofs of the mass having risen or fallen suddenly on the one side of these great rents several hundreds or thousands of feet above or below the rock with which it was once continuous on the other side we find the evidence defective there are grooves it is said and scratches on the rubbed and polished walls which have often one common direction favoring the theory that the movement was accomplished by a single stroke and not by a series of interrupted movements but in fact the strea are not always parallel in such cases but often irregular and sometimes the stones and earth which are in the middle of the fault or fissure have been polished and striated by friction in different directions showing that there have been slidings subsequent to the first introduction of the fragmentary matter nor should we forget that the last movement must always tend to obliterate the signs of previous trituration so that neither its instantaneousness nor the uniformity of its direction can be inferred from the parallelism of the stria that have been last produced when rocks have been once fractured and freedom of motion communicated to detached portions of them these will naturally continue to yield in the same direction if the process of upheaval or of undermining be repeated again and again the incumbent mass will always give way along the lines of least resistance or where it was formerly rent asunder probably the effects of reiterated movement whether upward or downward in a fault may be undistinguishable from those of a single and instantaneous rise or subsidence and the same may be said of the rising or falling of continental masses such as sweden or greenland which we know to take place slowly and insensibly 
doctrine of the sudden upheaval of parallel mountain chains the doctrine of the suddenness of many former revolutions in the physical geography of the globe has been thought by some to derive additional confirmation from a theory respecting the origin of mountain chains advanced in eighteen thirty three by a distinguished geologist m elia de beaumont in several essays on this subject the last published in eighteen fifty two he has attempted to establish two points first that a variety of independent chains of mountains have been thrown up suddenly at particular periods and secondly that the contemporaneous chains thus thrown up preserve a parallelism the one to the other these opinions and others by which they are accompanied are so adverse to the method of interpreting the history of geological changes which i have recommended in this work that i am desirous of explaining the grounds of my dissent a course which i feel myself the more called upon to adopt as the generalizations alluded to are those of a skilful writer and an original observer of great talent and experience i shall begin therefore by giving a brief summary of the principal propositions laid down in the works above referred to first m de beaumont supposes that in the history of the earth there have been long periods of comparative repose during which the deposition of sedimentary matter has gone on in regular continuity and there have also been short periods of paroxysmal violence during which that continuity was broken secondly at each of these periods of violence or revolution in the state of the earth's surface a great number of mountain chains have been formed suddenly thirdly the chains thrown up by a particular revolution have one uniform direction being parallel to each other within a few degrees of the compass even when situated in remote regions whilst the chains thrown up at different periods have for the most part different directions fourthly each revolution or great convulsion has fallen in with the date of another geological phenomenon namely the passage from one independent sedimentary formation to another characterized by a considerable difference in organic types fifthly there has been a recurrence of these paroxysmal movements from the remotest geological periods and they may still be reproduced and the repose in which we live may hereafter be broken by the sudden upthrow of another system of parallel chains of mountains sixthly the origin of these chains depends not on partial volcanic action or a reiteration of ordinary earthquakes but on the secular refrigeration of the entire planet for the whole globe with the exception of a thin envelope much thinner in proportion than the shell to an egg is a fused mass kept fluid by heat but constantly cooling and contracting its dimensions the external crust does not gradually collapse and accommodate itself century after century to the shrunken nucleus subsiding as often as there is a slight failure of support but it is sustained throughout whole geological periods so as to become partially separated from the nucleus until at last it gives way suddenly cracking and falling in along determinate lines of fracture during such a crisis the rocks are subjected to great lateral pressure the unyielding ones are crushed 
and the pliant strata bent and are forced to pack themselves more closely into a smaller space having no longer the same room to spread themselves out horizontally at the same time a large portion of the mass is squeezed upwards because it is in the upward direction only that the excess in size of the envelope as compared to the contracted nucleus can find relief this excess produces one or more of those folds or wrinkles in the earth's crust which we call mountain chains lastly some chains are comparatively modern such as the alps which were partly upheaved after the middle tertiary period the elevation of the andes was much more recent and was accompanied by the simultaneous outburst for the first time of two hundred seventy of the principal volcanoes now active the agitation of the waters of the ocean caused by this convulsion probably occasioned that transient and general deluge which is noticed in the traditions of so many nations several of the topics enumerated in the above summary such as the cause of interruptions in the sedimentary series will be discussed in the thirteenth chapter and i shall now confine myself to what i conceive to be the insufficiency of the proofs adduced in favor of the suddenness of the upthrow and the contemporaneousness of the origin of the parallel chains referred to at the same time i may remark that the great body of facts collected together by m de beaumont will always form a most valuable addition to our knowledge tending as they do to confirm the doctrine that different mountain chains have been formed in succession and as werner first pointed out that there are certain determinate lines of direction or strike in the strata of various countries the following may serve as an analysis of the evidence on which the theory above stated depends we observe says m de beaumont when we attentively examine nearly all mountain chains that the most recent rocks extend horizontally up to the foot of such chains as we should expect would be the case if they were deposited in seas or lakes of which these mountains have partly formed the shores whilst the other sedimentary beds tilted up and more or less contorted on the flanks of the mountains rise in certain points even to their highest crests there are therefore in and adjacent to each chain two classes of sedimentary rocks the ancient and inclined beds and the newer or horizontal it is evident that the first appearance of the chain itself was an event intermediate between the period when the beds now upraised were deposited and the period when the strata were produced horizontally at its feet thus the chain a assumed its present position after the deposition of the strata b which have undergone great movements and before the deposition of the group c in which the strata have not suffered derangement if we then discover another chain b in which we find not only the formation b but the group c also disturbed and thrown on its edges we may infer that the latter chain is of subsequent date to a for b must have been elevated after the deposition of c and before that of the group d whereas a had originated before the strata c were formed 
it is then argued that in order to ascertain whether other mountain ranges are of contemporaneous date with a and b or are referable to distinct periods we have only to inquire whether the inclined and undisturbed sets of strata in each range correspond with or differ from those in the typical chain a and b now all this reasoning is perfectly correct so long as the period of time required for the deposition of the strata b and c is not made identical in duration with the period of time during which the animals and plants found fossil in b and c may have flourished for the latter that is to say the duration of certain groups of species may have greatly exceeded and probably did greatly exceed the former or the time required for the accumulation of certain local deposits such as b and c figures eleven and twelve in order moreover to render the reasoning correct due latitude must be given to the term contemporaneous for this term must be understood to allude not to a moment of time but to the interval whether brief or protracted which elapsed between two events namely between the accumulation of the inclined and that of the horizontal strata but unfortunately no attempt has been made in the treatises under review to avoid this manifest source of confusion and hence the very terms of each proposition are equivocal and the possible length of some of the intervals is so vast that to affirm that all the chains raised in such intervals were contemporaneous is an abuse of language in order to illustrate this argument i shall select the pyrenees as an example originally m e de beaumont spoke of this range of mountains as having been uplifted suddenly a un sol jet but he has since conceded that in this chain in spite of the general unity and simplicity of its structure six if not seven systems of dislocation of different dates can be recognized in reference however to the latest and by far the most important of these convulsions the chain is said to have attained its present elevation at a certain epoch in the earth's history namely between the depositation of the chalk or rocks of about that age and that of certain tertiary formations as old as the plastic clay for the chalk is seen in vertical curved and distorted beds on the flanks of the chain as the beds b figure eleven while the tertiary formations rest upon them in horizontal strata at its base as c ibid the proof then of the extreme suddenness of the convulsion is supposed to be the shortness of the time which intervened between the formation of the chalk and the origin of certain tertiary strata even if the interval were deducible within these limits it might comprise an indefinite lapse of time in strictness of reasoning however the author cannot exclude the cretaceous or tertiary periods from the possible duration of the interval during which the elevation may have taken place for in the first place it cannot be assumed that the movement of upheaval took place after the close of the cretaceous period we can merely say that it occurred after the deposition of certain strata of that period secondly although it were true that the event happened before the formation of all the tertiary strata 
now at the base of the pyrenees it would by no means follow that it preceded the whole tertiary epoch the age of the strata both of the inclined and horizontal series may have been accurately determined by m de beaumont and still the upheaving of the pyrenees may have been going on before the animals of the chalk period such as are found fossil in england had ceased to exist or when the maestricht beds were in progress or during the indefinite ages which may have elapsed between the extinction of the maestricht animals and the introduction of the eocene tribes or during the eocene epoch or the rise may have been going on throughout one or several or all of these periods it would be a purely gratuitous assumption to say that the inclined cretaceous strata b figure eleven on the flanks of the pyrenees were the very last which were deposited during the cretaceous period or that as soon as they were upheaved all or nearly all the species of animals and plants now found fossil in them were suddenly exterminated yet unless this can be affirmed we cannot say that the pyrenees were not upheaved during the cretaceous period consequently another range of mountains at the base of which cretaceous rocks may lie in horizontal stratification may have been elevated like the chain a figure twelve during some part of the same great period End of chapter eleven part one